Well, let's pray together as we come to look at Acts chapter 16 together. Father, we come to your word, the Bible now, aware of our need, our need of understanding, our need of interpretation, and our need of application. So we look from ourselves now to the enabling of your Holy Spirit. And we would pray that you would grant that we would hear your voice through my little voice this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1994, Sheryl Crow released a song that was called, A Change Would Do You Good. And this morning, if you fall asleep during this sermon and you remember nothing else, all I want you to remember is that Jesus changes us for our good. A change would do you good. One of the things we see about Jesus is that he changes people's lives. He utterly transforms them. And my guess is that you know some people and you know what they were like before they met Jesus and you know what they're like having met Jesus and it's like chalk and cheese. They are completely different people. There has been radical transformation. They're a bit like Saul to Paul. They met Jesus and their lives were completely and utterly changed. And I think sometimes when we think of Jesus changing people, that's the type of change we think of, isn't it? Big, radical, massive, huge transformation. But Jesus isn't just in the business of this big, massive type of change. No, Jesus is also in the business of changing people's lives in little tiny ways that make a huge difference to them. I don't know if you've ever heard of the butterfly effect, but it's this idea that the flapping of a butterfly's wings, just this little flapping of wings, hypothetically could change the course of a tornado two or three weeks later. The butterfly effect is this idea that a little tiny thing can have a big, huge, massive consequence. And this morning as we explore Acts chapter 16, we're going to see Jesus make a little tiny change in people's lives which has a huge and massive difference to their lives. A good difference, a positive difference, a wonderful difference. A change would do you good. So let's meet the first person that Jesus changed this morning. And we find him at the start of Acts chapter 16. He's a man called Timothy. He's a young man. He's maybe 19, 20. He's in his early 20s probably. And he is a young man who lives in a city called Lystra. Now last week we saw Paul visit Lystra. Paul had gone there to tell people about Jesus. And it had all gone horribly wrong. If you were here last week, you remember that he healed a man. And the people of the town, they started worshipping him like a god. And it was like he couldn't get the message of Jesus out. The trip to Lystra had been, Paul had thought, a complete and utter disaster. But it turns out it wasn't such a disaster after all. Because about a year later, Paul is back in Lystra and he meets a young man called Timothy. And if you have a look at the text, you'll see how he's described. He is described as a disciple. Timothy is a disciple of Jesus. Timothy must have somehow heard the message that Paul brought to Lystra. And Timothy believed it. 
and put his faith in Christ. As a preacher, this really encourages me. You know, Paul's sermon had been a disaster in Lystra, but yet God used it in someone's life. And he used it in the life of Timothy. And if you have a look at Timothy, we're told a little bit about him in the passage. So we're told that his mother was a Jewess, but his father was a Greek. So his mother, she was a Jew by birth. She was brought up knowing the teachings of the Bible. She was brought up believing in one true living God. She was brought up following the Ten Commandments. She was brought up following the ethical rules of the Bible. She was someone who knew God and who knew the Scriptures and who was waiting for the rescuer, God's promised Messiah, to come. That was Timothy's mother. But his father, well, he was the exact opposite. He, we're told in the passage, was a Greek. He didn't believe that there was one true God. He believed in probably many gods. He didn't believe in the ethics or the morals of the Old Testament. He believed that the Greek and Roman morals were the way to live. He, Timothy's mother and Timothy's father, they believed completely different things. Timothy's mother and father, they were a mixed marriage. And their views of God and religion and morals were very, very different. But Timothy's mother, Timothy's mother continued to teach Timothy the scriptures as a child. We find that out later whenever Paul writes letters to Timothy down the line. She invested in her son. Even though his father wasn't a believer, she invested in her son and she taught him the scriptures. And she taught him about the coming rescuer. And she taught him about how to live God's way. And Timothy grew strong in his faith. And then whenever Jesus, when he heard about Christ, he responded. And this morning I point that out, not just because it's in the passage, but I point it out by way of encouragement to those of you who maybe have children and your spouse is not a believer. I know that's the case for some of you. In your house, you're the one who's the Christian and and your husband and your wife, they're not. And it's difficult at times, and there's a clash sometimes, and you have different ideas sometimes. But I want to encourage you, continue to teach your children the Bible, continue to bring them out to church, continue to point them to Jesus, continue to build them up in their faith, so that like Timothy, they can come to faith in Christ at the time that is right. So anyway, here he is. Timothy. He lives in Lystra. He's a believer in Christ. His life is good. He's a man of good reputation. But Paul, whenever he comes to Timothy, he wants to do something. Paul wants to take Timothy with him on the next missionary journey. Paul wants to bring him on the next phase of the mission. And so Paul invites him. Hey, Timothy, not sure what your life is like here in Lystra. Not sure what commitments you've got here. But do you fancy coming with me on this next mission trip? Do you fancy coming to me to the next town? Do you fancy joining us for a few days or a few weeks? Do you want to come with us, Timothy? Paul invited Timothy simply to go with him. And Timothy went. Now listen, 
That's just a small thing, isn't it? It's just an invitation. It was just an invitation to this young man. Do you want to come with me and see what happens? A very small thing. And yet it has a massive impact on Timothy's life. You see, when Timothy leaves with Paul, he never actually goes back to Lystra properly. He doesn't go back to living with his mother and his grandmother. No, Timothy goes on and he is made stronger in his faith and he's discipled by Paul and Timothy ends up telling people about Jesus all over Europe and then starting a church and pastoring it for the rest of his life. Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus took this very small thing, this little invitation and he used it to change Timothy's life in a way that he couldn't have imagined before. Jesus used that small thing to do something significant and meaningful and huge in Timothy's life. This morning I just want to say this, do not underestimate the power of an invitation. Do not underestimate the power of an invitation. An invitation to church, an invitation to the men's group, an invitation to Christianity Explored, an invitation to something the women are doing. Do not underestimate the power of an invitation because Jesus can take that little tiny thing and he can use it to transform and do something great in people's lives. Just as a side note, something else that happened with Timothy was that he gained the father he never had. Timothy's father was a Greek. He, he wasn't a spiritual man. He wasn't a believer. And, it, it, and we probably can read into this what's said that, that his father died. But when Timothy went with Paul, he also gained this spiritual father. And again, later on in the New Testament, when he writes to Timothy, he calls him my truth son in the faith. Timothy got a family out of this invitation and not just a new purpose. But the first person we meet is Timothy. And from this invitation, he had a life-changing purpose given to him. The next person that we meet is in a place called Philippi. Philippi, if you look at it on a map today, it's in Greece. Uh, and so Paul and Timothy and Luke and a, and a group of the people, they go to Philippi. And they get there and they're looking for a synagogue to go and tell people about Jesus in, but they can't find one. There's no synagogue in this city. And so they hear that there's a river and that they hear by the river people go on the Sabbath and they pray together. So Paul and the companions and Timothy, they head down to the river. And when they get there, they find a group of women praying together. Have a look at verse 13 with me. On the Sabbath, they went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So they go to Philippi and they're down by the river and there's this group of women and they're praying together. And we're told that there's a lady there, a particular lady, and her name is Lydia. And we can read about her in verse 14. Have a look with me there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Tyrathyra, who was a worshipper of God. So have a look at what we find out about this lady. She was a dealer in purple cloth. This lady was a businesswoman. 
She was a woman of means. She had a good income. She had her own business. She dealt in purple cloth. And do you know who purple cloth was sold to? It was sold to royalty. She's probably providing Caesar's household with the royal cloth for their robes. Here is this affluent business lady at this place of prayer. And if you have a look at the end of the description in verse 14, you'll see see that she is called a worshipper of God. Now, we have to understand this. Lydia was not like Timothy's mum. Lydia was not born as a Jew. She hadn't grown up with the scriptures. She hadn't grown up teaching, with the teaching of the Old Testament. She hadn't grown up knowing the Ten Commandments. She hadn't grown up believing this stuff about God that's found in the Bible. But yet she'd find herself drawn to him. She'd find herself believing that the God of the Bible was the one true God. She hadn't grown up like this. But she'd find herself drawn to God. But Lydia had a problem. She just wasn't sure that she really belonged. She wasn't sure that God really accepted her. She wasn't sure that she really was one of God's people. She felt drawn to God, but she just wasn't sure she really belonged to him. I wonder, is that you this morning? I wonder, is that you as you sit here? You come to church and you're regular here. You find yourself drawn towards God. You worship him. You you believe in him. But you're just not sure that you belong to him. You're not really sure if you're a Christian. You're not really sure if you're in the family. Or maybe you've been there before and you know how Lydia feels. Well, this is her at the riverside. Drawn to God, but unsure whether she really belongs. But Jesus, Jesus changes that in her. Because what happened next is that Paul, he opens his mouth and he tells Lydia and the women standing there the good news, the great news, the wonderful news. The wonderful news that if you put your faith in Christ, and trust in him as the forgiver of your sin, then God does something wonderful and he brings you into the family. He adopts you as his own. Paul preached the gospel, the good news that you didn't have to earn being part of the family, you didn't have to pay to get into the family, but simply by trusting in Christ, you were brought in to God's family. Do you remember how John 1 starts? We looked at it at Christmas. It says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That's the message that Paul preached. And if you have a look at the text, what you'll see is that the Lord opened up her heart to respond to Paul's message. She put her trust in Jesus. She was brought in to the family. And then what did she do next? Again, looking for assurance, she asked them to baptize her. Listen, will you baptize me? Baptism, it's a a sign that we belong to the family. We baptize children in our church 
if their parents are Christians, to say that they belong to the family of God and will be brought up in that way. We baptize adults who've come to faith in Christ. They're baptized as adults to, to say publicly that they now belong, that they're part of the people of God. And here Lydia is baptized. And as she comes out of the water, there's that assurance. I now belong. But she's still a bit nervous. And so she says to Paul, look at the end of verse 15. Verse 15 she says, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. Listen, Paul, can you just, can you just confirm? Can you just confirm that I really do belong and come and stay with me just to show that I really belong? that you consider me a sister in Christ. And she persuaded them and they went. This morning, if you're unsure, this morning, if you don't have that assurance and you want it, all you need to do is trust in Christ. Lean on him for the forgiveness of your sin. Lean on him to bring you into the family of God. All who believe in him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. And if you are unsure and you want to have a chat about that, you've got my number, give me a call, send me a text, we'll meet for coffee, we'll have a discussion about it. If you're unsure and you want to be sure, don't leave it today, but respond if the Lord has opened up your heart. Let's move on to the next person we meet. We're on to person three of four, and don't worry, the last two are shorter than the first two, so we'll not be here past half twelve, don't panic. Um, but let's look at the next one. The next lady then, it's this slave girl. Um, the situation in Ukraine, it, it's awful, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. But last Sunday night, on the way out of church, a lady stopped me, and she told me something that, that broke my heart even more for what's going on. She told me that she's aware of pastors in Romania, and she was saying that these pastors were saying that in Romania, gangs were coming to the border. Trafficking gangs. And they were taking women and children, pretending that they're offering them a place to stay, and instead trafficking them into Europe to be slaves. Evil upon evil. And then I read in the papers this week, I looked a bit about that, and it's happening in all the countries these Ukrainian women and these Ukrainian children are fleeing from the horror of war. And there are evil men trafficking them into Europe to be slaves. They're being exploited. They're having their freedom taken away. They're being trapped. And it's horrible. Well, here in Acts chapter 16, we meet a girl who's in a similar position. This girl is possessed by a demon. There is an unclean spirit. There is a demonic force that lives within her. And can I explain that? No, I can't. I don't understand that. It's hard for me to get my head around, but this is what the passage tells us. That there was a spirit that had enslaved her. So she'd been enslaved by this demonic spirit. And the Spirit gave her the ability to tell the future. And so having had this ability, she was then enslaved by these horrible men. Men who exploited her. Men who made money from her. 
men who controlled her. In Philippi, there is this poor slave girl. And we read about her in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners. Do you notice? Not for her. She earned money for her owners. She was poor and exploited by them. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She's telling the truth. I'm not sure why the spirit that was in her was saying this, but it was. She follows them around. These men are here to tell you how to be saved. Anyway, verse 18 tells us that she kept this up for many days. She followed them around, constantly saying this. Must have been a bit annoying after a while. It doesn't tell us that, but what it does tell us is that Paul became so troubled in verse 18 that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And then look what happened. At that moment, the Spirit left her do you see what Jesus does for this girl he sets her free Jesus brings this girl a freedom that she had never had for years and years and years Jesus set her free And friends, that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to set people free. Paul writing to the Galatians, he says this, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus has come to set people free. What's he come to set us free from? Well, I think one thing he's come to set us free from is having to to keep up with the demands of the world around us. It's exhausting, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the world around us, it lays demands on us and it tells us that we have to meet these demands or else we're worthless. We have to keep up with the Joneses. We have to keep buying stuff. We have to keep buying the best stuff. We have to to keep up appearances. That's draining and demanding, isn't it? But when we follow Jesus, he says, do you know what? You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. You don't have to live to get stuff anymore. You're free from that. You're free to live for me. And then there's the keeping up of appearances, isn't there? Pretending we've got it all together. Pretending that we're really good people. Pretending that we're morally wonderful. Pretending that our mental health is perfect. That's what society says we have to do. And it's exhausting too, isn't it? Because we're not perfect. We're flawed. But we feel we have to put on a show. And our mental health isn't great, but we feel we have to say it is. And Jesus says, you're free from that. I've come to save sinners. So you can just admit you are one. I've came for flawed people so you don't have to pretend you're not flawed anymore. I've come for the sick so you don't have to pretend that your mind is always in a good place. You're free. You're free. 
Jesus also comes to free us from having to obey every desire within us. You know, there's this idea that if we feel something, we have to go with it. That's what society says. If you feel a certain way, if you feel like doing something, you just got to go with it. Trust your feelings, trust your instincts. But Jesus says you don't have to. You don't have to. You're free to follow me instead. And then there's the devil himself who tempts us. He tempts us to sin. He, he tempts us to go against God. He, he tempts us to do and say and think certain things. And he tells us you have to follow me and you have to do this. But Jesus says you're free to say no. You're free. Following Jesus is not becoming bound up. It's not losing our freedom. It's being free to be the people that we're really meant to be. Free to follow him. Free from the world's demands. Free from the demands of our feelings. Free from the demands of the evil one. And this young girl, she was set free simply through the words of Paul casting the demon out of her. Let's move on to our final friend, the jailer. Um, I don't know anybody, and, and maybe you do, I don't know anybody whenever they were a child said to their mum and dad, do you know what, mum and dad, when I grow up, I want to be a prison officer. I, I don't know anybody who has said that because to be a prison officer is such a difficult and demanding and joy-killing job, isn't it? You have to deal with arguments. You have to deal with threats. You have to deal with violence. You have to deal with intimidation. You have to deal with men who have done really evil things. And you have to face them and live amongst them. Being a prison officer, it is a demanding, difficult job. And I could be wrong, but I don't imagine there is a whole lot of joy in it. And here in Acts chapter 16, we meet a jailer. Uh, Paul and, and his friends, they've, they've cast this demon out of the girl. The men who were exploiting her aren't too happy. He's lost us our income. So they lock Paul and Silas up in prison. And the jailer, he's given one job, make sure these guys don't escape. So he puts them in the stocks. Very uncomfortably, he puts them in the inner cell. And they are imprisoned. This man, who I guess probably hates his job, is just doing what he's told. And he's in there, and it's coming up to midnight. And uh, Paul and Silas, they start singing. They start singing, and they start praying. And they're not singing and they're not playing quietly. They're, they're singing and praying in such a way that everybody can hear them. That's what the text says. All the other prisoners are listening to them. You can imagine the, the, the soldier, the, the jailer scratching his head. Why on earth are these men singing? What have they got to sing about? What have they got to be happy about? What have they got to be joyful about? But as he listens, the, he hears that they're singing hymns. Songs of praise to God. These men in the stocks, in the prison, they have a joy from God that this jailer just cannot understand. 
the jailer, he eventually falls asleep. But then he's woken up by a shaking. There's an earthquake and, and he wakes up and he panics because the doors have opened and the chains have fallen off. And the jailer thinks he's in massive trouble because the prisoners will have escaped. And we're told that the, the jailer actually goes to take his life. Worried about the consequences. He goes to take his life. But Paul shouts out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Don't do it, we're all here, we haven't run away. We're still here. The jailer calls for the lights and the lights are switched on. You know, the torches come and he looks around in disbelief. They are all still here. And he turns to Paul and he turns to Silas and he, he has this question and I'm not even sure he understood it. He probably just heard the slave girl telling them that these men are here to tell you how to be saved. And he turns to them and he says, what must I do to be saved? You guys have got something. I don't know why you didn't run away. I should be dead. I should have killed myself. But you are here and you stayed. What have I got to do to be saved? And the answer is so simple. Paul just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then he follows up, we're told, and he, he goes to the man's home. And they explain a bit more about Jesus to him. And the man's heart is changed. He washes their wounds from where he's beaten them and where he's tied them up. And then if you have a look at the last verse, if you have a look with me at verses 33 to 34, you'll see what happened to this man. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds then immediately he and his family were baptized. So again, he's become a believer. He's put his faith in Jesus. He's become one of God's people through this event. Verse 34, the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And then look at this for a beautiful end of the story. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. He was filled with joy. He still had to go back to work on Monday morning. Life as a prison officer was still going to be difficult and grim and hard. His life wasn't really going to be very different in many ways. But there was one difference. And the difference was that this man now carried around an unshakable joy. He carried a joy in his heart that couldn't be taken away by the circumstances of life. And what brought this joy was that he and his family had come to know and believe in God. Jesus brings joy. Jesus can bring a joy that no one else can. Jesus assures us that we belong to God. And if we can get that into our hearts and our minds, we, like the jailer, can carry around an unshakable, unchangeable joy. Friends, Jesus changes lives. And this morning as you sit here, I just have a, a number of questions for you. The first one is this, will you let him change yours? 
If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian yet, if you've not put your faith in Jesus yet, and you know that you need a change of life, maybe you need a freedom like the slave girl had. Maybe you need a purpose like Timothy got. Maybe you need joy like the jailer. Maybe you need assurance like Lydia. If you can relate to these changes and you need them in your life and you don't know how to get them, will you let Jesus bring that change? Will you put your trust in him and let him into your life that he might change you? In the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Jesus stands at the door of your heart today and he's knocking and he's saying, will you let me in? Will you let me in to change you? If that's you, will you let him in this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and and you know other people, friends, family, and they need the things that Timothy and the slave girl and Lydia got. They need those things this morning your friends and your family members, and they, they have no sense of purpose in their life. They're drifting through and they feel lost. Or your friends and family members, and they are trapped by addiction or they're trapped by something that's got them in the grip of it and they can't get out. If that's you this morning, will you pray for God to change them through Christ? Would you pray for change this morning? Maybe you're sitting here and it's something else that you need to do. Maybe you can relate to Timothy or the slave girl or Lydia or the jailer. Maybe you're here and you can say, do you know what, Marty? I'm sitting here and I recognize those changes and I've experienced them. But will you thank God and praise God today for those? And will you do something else? Will you tell people Will you tell people how Christ has changed you? And will you pray that Christ might change them? A change would do you good. A change would do us all good. And the unchangeable God, the one who never changes through the gospel of his son, is in the business of changing lives. Let's cling to this truth today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the ways that you've changed us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you for setting us free from many of the things that ensnared us. Thank you for giving us a joy that we belong to you. Thank you, Lord, for the ways that you have changed us. And Father, would you help us to believe that you can change other people and that you can do them good through the gospel of your son, Jesus. Help us to cling to this truth and to believe it with our hearts and to live with it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.